Well, good morning, church family. As most of you know, my name is Dwight Waldruff. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary. I'll be reading out of the class Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 13, and then verses 24 through 26. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. <clears throat> also, I collected myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem, my wisdom who also stood by me. And that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all the labor. This was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and the labor which I exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what will the man do who will come after the king except that what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light exceeds darkness. Then in verse 24, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. Thank you, Dwight. This says the Lord. Uh, thank you for being here today. We appreciate you all. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, we are in our third week in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and as we unpack the book of Ecclesiastes, I hope that you find what I have found, that there is freedom in truth, that, that this book is just real life. It really is, whether we like to admit it or not, whether we like to see it or not. The, what Solomon unpacks for us in this text is just true. And what does it say in the book, Gospel of John? And the truth shall, sh- shall set you free. Today we're in the book, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. But I- I'm just going to give a quick disclaimer about my sermon today. My, my sermon today is meant to be very honest. I was wondering if uh, Dwight would blush up here when he was reading that passage. 
Because if you actually read the passage along with Dwight, there's some really honest and blunt truths in there about life and about the pleasures that we have under the sun. So my sermon today is meant just to be honest. It's not meant to be condescending. It's not meant to be confrontational. It's just meant to be truthful. Because, friends, listen to me. We seek to find meaning and satisfaction in life without God. And what does it leave us with? A fistful of sand. That there is only one way. There's only one being that can truly give us satisfaction in life. Amen? And that is God, our Creator. Only the Creator of the universe can tell His creation how to have a fulfilling life. And that is the book of Ecclesiastes. I just want to begin this morning with a question. What are, what are some ways, and I'm asking you in the audience, and if you could... Uh, chirp back at me. Uh, what are some ways that we find meaning and satisfaction in life? Relationships, very good. What are some other ones? Works, good. What else? Work, job, career. What else? Children, very good. What else do we find meaning or satisfaction or purpose in? Friends, yep. What else? Yep. Prestige, status, money, possessions, bigger house, cars, boats, jet skis, iPhones. What else do we find satisfaction in? Anything else? Food. Yeah, there we go. Amen. All right. Amen. Let's go to all you can eat buffet after church today. All right. What else? What? Sleep. That's what I need. Uh, I don't know if that's what you said. We find all sources of satisfaction in life outside of God. And Solomon's conclusion today is that all of those things are vanity. They appear satisfying. They appear full for just a moment, like smoke in the wind. But it will end up disappearing and failing you. It will not satisfy your thirst. That is his point in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and chapter 2. And as I was thinking about this passage, as I was unpacking this text, what is Solomon really doing? In chapter 1 and chapter 2, he is getting us lost before he gets us found. How many of you have ever been lost before? Okay, What is that feeling like? There's a sense of hopelessness and desperation, nervousness, you're scared. That's exactly what Solomon wants you to feel. He is pushing you kind of down into this pit of despair. Don't quote the movie. He's, he's pushing you down into darkness to show you how radiant the light of God truly is. And that's what we see today on full display. So if you have your text, open your text to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, we will venture into the text. We're going to try to cover 26 verses, and if you know my personality, that is a tall task on one Sunday morning. But real quickly, let us kind of paint the, the scenery. Let us paint the background of our text this morning. What is the implicit theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? There's, there's really one target, one purpose that Solomon has, but it's not explicitly stated, it's kind of implicit in the text itself. It's the question Solomon is answering throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes is how do we have a great life? How do we have a life well lived under the sun? He's not talking about eternal life. And eternal rewards, that is a different sermon for a different day. But how do we have a great life in the 80 years that we have in the flesh, under the sun? 
How do we have a, tr- a treasureful life? And we, we accomplish this, it's up here, we accomplish this by really fulfilling five principles that you see in the book of Ecclesiastes that we embrace that life is short and that life is just unfair. If you haven't embraced that yet, I'm going to, for another 10, 12 weeks of the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to hear the same thing. That life is short and that life is a vapor. It is repeated throughout all of the scripture that life is just so fleeting. Life is short. That life is just unfair. That the righteous perish, but the wicked prosper. So then we should enjoy God's blessings. We'll see that today. And then principle number four at the end that kind of ties it all together, that gives balance to a life well lived, is that we should fear God and that we should keep His commandments. You cannot find lasting meaning under the sun outside of God. Only your Creator can tell the purpose of the creation. And that is the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to just say something. I stand in awe that the God of the universe would love me so much that he tells me how to have a great life in my 80 years under the sun. Amen? That is a tremendous book. If you have your text, so that is the implicit theme, the five principles, but then you have the outline. And last week when I was preaching, I kind of gave you a homework assignment that I shared, I shared with you, kind of break up the book into three main pieces What I see, and I'm not perfect, I'm a fallen human being, that's why I like the book of Ecclesiastes too. So what I see is chapters 1 through 6 is one section, it is the preacher's plights of life under the sun, the preacher's plights of life under the sun, if you have your notes. Chapters 7 through 11 discusses the preacher's proposals for life under the sun, and then chapter 12, really the end of chapter 12, is the author's two principles for a great life under the sun. And then today we're, we're kind of going like this and then we're kind of narrowing into our passage today. So where are we in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2? Solomon is really unpacking the futility of wisdom and life and pleasure without God. That all of those things are vanity. And what you'll see today in our text is that Solomon has two different tests. One introduced in verse 1 and one introduced in verse 18. And he has two different tests, and he conducts eight different experiments. And he says to us, are these, are these eight different experiences, are any of these satisfactory to having a meaningful life under the sun? He puts them all on display to see if any of them will satisfy our thirst for meaning and purpose in life. And that's what we see today. If you notice in your text, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he begins with his thesis statement and his conclusion. We call this a deductive argument. Verse 1, I said to myself, come now, I will test you. Notice that, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. This is a deductive argument. He's giving you his thesis, and then he's giving you his conclusion, and then in the following text, he gives you his five experiments that help him arrive at this conclusion. Notice his first experiment in verse 1 and 2. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. What is test number one? He is testing his senses. His sensory abilities, his smell, taste, touch, his sense of status and accomplishment. And behold, it too was futility. There's his conclusion, so you know what's coming. Verse 2, 
Here's his first experiment. A set of laughter, it is madness and a pleasure. What does it accomplish? His first experiment to see if it is satisfactory in life under the sun is laughter. Can we just, um, can we just be honest about life under the sun? I love, I love honesty in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just so blunt. <laughs> okay. And if I like blunt and my wife is blunt and I, and this is me. I'm blunt. I don't mean to be mean. Sometimes I come across as mean. I'm just, just honest. Life under the sun stinks. Especially if you don't have God. Because if you don't have God, there is no redemption. There's no point. That you just be buried in the sand. And you push up daisies without God. Without God, life stinks because we introduced sin into this world through Adam. That we decided to be like God. And so what do we do? We try to experiment with our senses. We try almost anything to feel better. And we laugh. That's what he says in verse 2. And I said of laughter, it is madness and a pleasure. What does it accomplish? We like laughing. Solomon says in the book of Proverbs that a joyful heart or laughter is good medicine. And it is. We like to laugh to distract ourselves from real life. Right? It just does. It gives us a temporary reprieve. That's why we like sitcoms and we like listening to Jim Gaffigan. He's really funny, by the way. It, it gives us a temporary reprieve, but it's vanity. Why? Because it is temporary. It is a vapor in the wind. It only gives us satisfaction for a moment and then it disappears. That's Solomon's conclusion in verse 2. Notice his second experiment in verse 3. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. While my mind was guiding me wisely. What is Solomon saying here? One preacher says that Solomon got drunk and took notes. Okay. He is drinking wine and he is taking notes to see if wine truly satisfies his senses. Notice his conclusion. And how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their life. What is his conclusion on alcohol and wine? Can alcohol satisfy? No, because it is vanity. It appears satisfactory for a moment and then disappears. I'm just going to speak on this topic. And I know that I have conservative people in the church. And good. I'm glad. Biblically speaking... Then ice. Biblically speaking, is it okay to have a glass of wine? Please say yes. If you're 21 years or older, if you do it in moderation and you do not cause your brother to stumble, having a sip of wine is okay. If having a sip of wine is a sin, then Jesus sinned and we got a big old problem. Okay? But listen to me. If you have a family history, it is probably not a good idea to have wine. Okay? So don't say, well, Barnes said I could. Okay, don't, don't do that. I'm not saying that. The point is this. The point that Solomon is making is not that alcohol, a sip of wine, is evil. It's not. The point is that alcohol cannot satisfy your, your desire to have a meaningful, joyful life. 
It is vanity. It appears full. Drugs, alcohol, all the things of the world appear full, appear, me- appear meaningful, appear that it just gives you a great life, and then you're just going to feel terrible the next day. The temptation to all of us, instead of embracing God, instead of finding enjoyment and satisfaction in Him, when we despair, when we have struggles, when we are discouraged, we try to find ways to escape. We laugh. Experiment number one, we drink wine. Solomon tests laughter, and he tests wine. And then notice his third test in verse 4. I enlarged my works. So what is he saying? He's trying to see if possessions give him lasting meaning and satisfaction. You can guess his conclusion. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Why? So you can grab an apple. I made ponds of water. This is before the days of hydraulic pumps. How does he make them? There's a shovel, dude. Can you go dig a hole? Okay. He made ponds for himself. He has all measures from himself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. Verse 7. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Verse 8. Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. What is he saying? He has everything one could want under the sun. He has a mansion in the Hamptons. He has a mansion in Malibu. He has gardens and parks. He has jet skis, boats, cars, a big old bank account. He has everything, a big nest egg. He has gold and silver. He has slaves. He he is the envy of kings all around the world. And what is he saying? That that will not satisfy Friends, listen to me. You can keep up with the Joneses. You can try. You can do retail therapy. Okay, there's a reason why it's called that. Because it makes you feel good for a moment. And then what is always on the other end? Okay, buyer's remorse. Okay, that's why. It makes you feel good for a moment, but it will not satisfy your need for fulfillment and for meaning and for satisfaction under the sun. There's only one thing, and we're going to get to that here in just a moment. Notice experiment number four, verse eight. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of many concubines. Don't blush in the room. Okay. The pleasures of many concubines. What is he talking about? The pleasures of the flesh. That his hunt, having 700 wives and 300 concubines, cannot satisfy his desire for satisfaction and meaning under the sun. Sensuality will not satisfy your thirst for acceptance, value, security, lust, or pleasure. Sensuality outside of the bounds of marriage always has devastating consequences. Sensuality outside the bounds of marriage always has 
devastating consequences. Um, I told you it was going to be honest today, so I'm doing it. Um, we, we as preachers stand behind pulpits afraid to tell people the truth. Because we're afraid that we're going to hurt people's feelings. We're afraid that a first-time visitor is going to be weirded out, right? And he's talking about what? It's Sunday morning? Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. Uh, we're, we're afraid that we're going to offend people. But Solomon's not afraid, <laughs> okay? And if you come to Calvary Bible Church, we preach the Bible. So, okay, if you get to this point, you just really need to be honest. If you think that sensuality... If you think that the desires of your flesh will satisfy, then go talk to the world. They will tell you it will. I'm just going to give you a science experiment. There's a guy named Calvin Murphy. I don't know how many of you ever heard of him. He is a former NBA basketball player, a Hall of Famer, and he has 14 children with nine different women. Go check on him. See how he's holding up. I imagine he's probably broke from all the child support payments, and he's probably never sees any of his children. Do not be fooled. The world will tell you. The sensuality will satisfy, but it does not. It is vanity. Sensuality outside of the bounds of marriage always has devastating consequences. That's what he is saying in verse 8. Men in the room, especially unmarried men, Women will not satisfy your need for sensuality. Solomon had 700 wives. Dude, (laughs) I just heard a comment. That's insane. One preacher pointed out, that is a different woman every night for two years. I didn't come up with that, okay? 700 wives and 300 concubines. And what is he saying? That the desires of the flesh will not satisfy. Can I just speak also? This is honest. Women, do not be fooled, especially unmarried women in the room, that men will not satisfy your desire for love, acceptance, value, and security. A finite person cannot quench an infinite thirst. Only an infinite being, your creator, can satisfy your needs for acceptance, security, value, and your desire to be loved. Even in marriage. Can I just speak to all the married couples in the room? Uh, It is unfair. It is unfair for you to expect your spouse to fulfill every need that you have. It's unfair. Why? Because they are human and they are broken there is only, can I just speak, there is only one thing, one being that will truly satisfy your needs. It is God and his redemption on the cross. Amen? That's it. Solomon doing a bunch of different experiments. Laughter, wine, possessions, women. None of it satisfies It is a vapor in the wind. It appears full for a moment and then disappears. All of the temporary satisfaction is gone in a moment. I think you would all attest to that if you were honest. But let's keep going. All right. Keep on going on the honesty train here. 
Verse 9, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. Verse 10, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. What is he saying here, guys? I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was reward for all of my toil. Thus I considered all of my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind, and there is no profit under the sun. Experiment number five is everything. Solomon has everything one could ever want in the world. And what is his conclusion? Verse 11, And behold, all is vanity. Now listen to me. I want to change your thought on what that word vanity means. It does not mean meaningless. That's a bad translation. It means vapor, hevel. That's the Hebrew word, hevel, vapor. It appears satisfactory for a moment to only disappear the next. But notice, what is the only thing that Solomon finds rewarding? For my heart was pleased because all of my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. What is he saying? The only source of enjoyment was the process of building those things. Once he got the bigger house, he just wanted a bigger house. It's the process. My, uh, my, my dad built his dream home. Okay, he built it on in Cherokee Ridge. As a kid, he... Man, he talked about moving into Cherokee Ridge my whole entire life. He wanted to live on a golf course and have a pond in the backyard. And he wanted to shoot turtles as they came up on the shore for whatever reason. Okay, that was his uh, dream. He had a he built it, man. He spent 18 months building this dream custom home. I mean, it was custom, okay? It had a 1,000-foot workshop in the basement. It had a urinal in his bathroom, okay? All right, so, I mean, it was for my dad. His dreams of satisfaction in a home. He put it there. He loved the process of building this dream home for himself. And guess how long he lived there? Four years. And he sold it and moved away. That's what Solomon is saying. That we love the process, but we really don't like the product. It's all vanity. Friends, listen to me. If you get nothing else out of this, place your value Place your worth not in the world, in anything of it. Don't worry about what your neighbor has that you don't. Place your value in God. Test number one is his senses. Laughter, alcohol, possession, sensuality, everything. But then his second test comes down to wisdom, folly, and madness. And what does he find? Verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Folly means silliness, foolishness. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I know that one fate befalls them both. What is he saying? Verse 15, Then I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. What is the fate of the fool, and what is the fate of the wise? They both die. But what does he say in verse 13? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. 
you see here, it starts off with three different experiments. He kind of brushes madness to the side. He said that's really not uh, vanity or that's really not worth it. So it then has to come between wisdom or folly. And then he says, well, wisdom is better than folly because at least a wise person understands the difference between good and evil. But as we talked about last week, last week wisdom itself is vanity. We should pursue it. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. We should pursue being wise, but we should also be aware that wisdom is vanity. Why? Because it's a paradox. That wisdom enlightens truth, but it also what? Increases pain. Because of the poor decisions of other people. Parents in the room, I shared this last week. You are much wiser than your children. Probably, especially if you have young kiddos like Brynn, okay? I'm wiser, hopefully, okay? She's in big trouble if I'm not. Okay, big trouble. Parents are typically wiser than teenage children. Sorry, teenagers in the room, okay? Parents are grieved. They increase pain with the poor decisions of their children. It's just a fact of life. That is the paradox of wisdom. We should pursue wisdom, we should want wisdom, but know it it will increase pain to us for the poor decisions of other people. Verse 16, For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, and as much as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life. For the work which has been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility in striving after the wind. What is his conclusion? Hopelessness. Why? This is so depressing, Byron. Why are you depressing me out on a Sunday morning? What is Solomon doing, friends? He is getting us lost before he gets us found. He is showing you very intentionally by holding all of these experiments that everything outside of God under the sun is vanity. He is putting you deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit to show you the radiance of the grace of God. That's what he's doing. Everything without God is hevel. But not everything is hevel. Let me say that again. Everything without God is, is hevel, is vanity. But not everything is vanity. Before I get there, notice verse 18 through 20. All the workaholics in the room take notes here. Honest, man. It's great. Love it. It's wonderful. Thus I hated all of the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who came after me. What is he saying? Naked I came into the world, and naked I shall return. Verse 19, And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? What is he also saying? That your children don't like your stuff as much as you do. Okay, all right. How many of you went through your parents' stuff and probably threw away at least half of it? Okay, all right. That's what he's saying. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor. What is he saying? Naked I came into the world and naked I shall return. So if you put your value in work, guess how much you carry with you? Zero. For which I have labored, but by acting wisely under the sun. I've acted wisely, I've accumulated wealth, is what he's saying. But this too is vanity. It's not satisfactory. It doesn't give me meaning. Therefore, I completely despaired. Deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit. 
of all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored under the sun. Naked I came into the world, and naked I shall return. If you try to find your meaning and satisfaction, or your sense of value and worth in work, guess what? You will not carry any of it with you. That your children will take your stuff and will sell it off in auction. That's what I did with my dad's stuff. My dad, a couple years before he passed away, took me to this wood shop. So he had that wood shop in his home in Cherokee Ridge. And he put all that stuff, when he moved, he put all that woodworking shop uh, stuff into a storage shed. And he opened, this, he opened this thing up, and it's this most giant storage shed full of just tools. And now, if you love woodworking, then you would probably salivate. But I don't like woodworking. I like my fingers, okay? So I want to keep them. So I, 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 I looked at all this stuff, and, it, and my dad was like, oh, man, this is good stuff, okay? And he's just like a kid on Christmas morning, and I'm like, like huh? Like, what even is that? This is a dust collector, okay? Like, what am I going to do with that? And guess what? All of that stuff is gone. It's all vanity. The possessions that you have in this world, wisdom, laughter, sensuality, all that stuff. Solomon is saying to us today, all of it appears satisfactory for a moment, but it will not be in the long run. Quit placing your value and your meaning in meaningless things. Let's get to the good stuff. Okay, I'm just skipping ahead here. Verse 24 of chapter 1, or chapter 2. Here is Solomon's conclusion, and you will recognize it. There is nothing better. Notice this. So he's putting us into the pit of despair. He's getting us lost, and now he's getting us found. He's telling us what life is really all about. For there's nothing better for a man than to what? Eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. What is he saying? Life is short. Life is unfair. Enjoy. You can't take it with you. Your children will auction it off for a dollar a piece of furniture. And it's okay. Enjoy God's blessings. Now, not tomorrow. What does he say? There is nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. Work with God is not vanity. Possessions with God is not vanity. Pleasure inside of the bounds of marriage is not vanity. Life with God is not vanity, but life without God is vanity. It will leave you empty, like a fistful of sand and a mouthful of flour. Notice, let's continue, verse 25. For who can eat... Notice, oh man, if you don't have a highlighter or a circle or a pen, highlight verse 24 and 25, because this is really the preacher's conclusion. And he's just going to keep going. For who can eat... And who can have enjoyment without God? It's impossible. You can have temporary satisfaction. Dopamine, God has given you dopamine. It can release when you do certain activities. But it will not last. You can't truly enjoy life without God. It's this point. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without God? For to a person who is good in his sight, God will then give wisdom. And knowledge and joy. Did you catch that? We can't have joy without God. And when we have joy in Him, He then returns to us wisdom, knowledge, and joy. 
while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting work, toil, under the sun, so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. We can only find satisfaction and meaning and value and purpose in God alone. Only our Creator dictates the purpose of His creation. Amen? This is the truth. But we are fallen, and that's okay. We try to do these experiments every day. We try to find satisfaction in all of these things. In status, in cars, in jet skis, in boats, in bigger houses, in the way your hair looks, in in what clothes you drive. What clothes you drive? What clothes you wear. It's been one of those weeks. Sorry, guys. What kind of car you drive? I mean, it's silliness, guys. You should have nice things. Enjoy them. I'm not saying don't drive a nice car if you can pay cash and afford it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying enjoy God's blessings, but just don't have your value there. Amen? Your value is in God and in Him alone. Place your value because you can enjoy life here, now, but only through Him. That's what he's saying. You might not have two nickels to rub together, but I guarantee you, you have something in your life to be joyful about. Let me say that again. You might have two nickels to rub together, but I guarantee you, if you are a child of God, you have something to take joy in. Why? Why do I, why do I say that? Matthew chapter 7. A good father gives us good things. There's something in your life that can provide you joy, that God has blessed you with, that you should enjoy God's blessings. You don't have to be rich. That's a, that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from American, the, the American way, the American dream. You don't even have to have wealth to enjoy God's blessings. God has blessed you in some way. Enjoy. Put your value, put your worth, put your meaning in God and in Him alone. To illustrate this point, uh, I, I couple, you know, we learn a lot from our parents, amen? Okay, uh, so uh, the book of Ecclesiastes has uh, made me think about my parents and my dad especially just because he was a man that had great wisdom. He really was, great guy, um, miss him. But before he died, I, uh, I, I, we would meet semi-weekly for lunch. And I think it was that blue plate on Governor's Drive. And um, he was just so sad about his life. And I'm like, thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, and he's just like, you know, Byron, my life is a great tragedy. That, that nothing in my life has turned out good. And nothing in my life has been great. And I, and, I, and I looked at him across the table. And I'm like, are you insane? He had everything a man could want everything but what's the problem he thinks it's grant's possessions not god's possessions he thinks that grant should find enjoyment in grant's things not in god's things until we learn to put our value and our meaning in god alone we will not enjoy life under the sun it'll be a meaningless task of vanity I don't want you to live 80 years of misery 
I don't want to live 80 years of misery. God has designed us to find our enjoyment in Him. And if you're not enjoying your life, you're not obeying the Scripture. It's just the truth. Before I close, I'm going to give us three different assignments. And I'm not sure if I completed your notes today or not. Sorry. I was on a roll. So... This is the honest today, that all life is vanity without God, but life with God is not vanity. But assignment number one is, what do you have to find joy in? What do you have to find joy in? Because in chapter 8, Solomon says to find enjoyment in your spouse. If you're married, that's a good starting point. What do you have to find joy in? Enjoy God's blessings. What does God bless you with? Our Father is a good Father who gives us good things. I guarantee you, if you actually look at your life, and you actually see what He's given to you, your life under the sun, you can actually see and find something to be joyful in. Your life ain't that big of a disaster, I promise. Your life ain't Job, okay? Come on. What do you have to be joyful in? And then the second question I have, assignment is, what will it take? How can you consciously take joy in that? Don't find your value in possessions. I'm not saying that. But find your value in God and then you come down and then you find joy and enjoyment in His blessings. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Assignment number two. It's just how can you find joy in your spouse? How can you find joy in your children? How can you find just joy in your home? In your relationship with God? And in the scripture that He's given to you? God wants you to be joyful. That's not prosperity gospel stuff. That's just the truth. He doesn't want you, oh, my life is terrible. I'm just carrying my cross. Okay. I've heard that. But assignment number three is I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to ask you to read it every week. Because the truth will set you free. This is, man, it is so freeing when you actually just see the truth of life. It is just so freeing. Um... I hope you see it at half of what I've experienced. But I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. And what I want you to do is I want you to mark every time the book of Ecclesiastes says the phrase, under the sun, 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 under the sun. It's repeated over and over and over and over and over again. And I want you to mark it down. Because I want you to keep a list or keep highlights, whatever you want to do. Because next week my assignment is going to be correspondent to that. So... Amped today. Before I close, I'm going to close with this. Um, if you do not know Christ Jesus, man, I'm just. Can I just preach? <laughs> Life without God stinks. <laughs> so, I mean, if you don't have the redemption of the cross, if you don't have eternal life, if you can't find value in something outside of this world, man, that stinks. He has given you the gift of eternal life by faith in Him. That if you would just believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe in Him and you shall be saved. Not only be saved, but your life will be transformed and then you'll begin to understand what it means to place your satisfaction and meaning and value and joy in Him. But it starts with believing and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life because His payment was sufficient. 
Before I close, I'm going to close with a quote, and then I will pray, and I will get off my soapbox today. This text came from a friend of mine, and she has heard me preach the book of Ecclesiastes, and I wanted to share with you all. She says this, As I read Ecclesiastes yesterday, I was telling my husband that I was overcome with how insignificant we are, that we have an 80-year internship on earth, and then we die. What we do doesn't really matter, won't be remembered for long, God doesn't need my help. I am but dust. Yet, God still chooses to know me and to count all the hairs on my head. He adores me and longs to be gracious to me, to do life with me. He sent his only son as a sacrifice in order that I might remain with him for eternity. He places such value in the meaninglessness of my life and existence It's humbling and truly leads me into a deeper love relationship with God. For as seemingly negative and depressing as Ecclesiastes is, I still see his beautiful, redemptive face. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just the honesty of life under the sun. That we can seek to find things in the world to satisfy us, but inevitably it is a vapor in the wind. It is satisfactory for a moment, but it will let us down. Lord, may we find our sense of value and worth in you, not in the pleasures of the world and our senses and in madness and folly and wisdom. May we just live lives that are righteous and joyful. Let us not be sticks in the mud. You know, Lord, you have given us, you command us in your scripture to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Lord, may we not be just Eeyores. Just running around. Woe is me. Well, you've given us redemption. You've given us the Spirit of God. You've given us light to our feet. May we be grateful for all the blessings that you've given to us. But thank you for the honesty. And thank you for my church. I pray that they would receive the truth of your word. And lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.